That's an inside joke. We were here uh, Wednesday for the uh, small groups, and if you haven't participated in that, come on out. It was a great thing, and I sat down, and I was invited at a table, and um, the guy said, I know who you are. You're the other guy. (laughs) And I said, you know, I've been called a lot worse, so I'll go by the other guy. And then I showed up uh, on Thursday for to check out the teens, and uh, what a great work that is. And I was talking with Lee back there. She was doing those grilled cheese sandwiches, and she said, what's your name? And I said, my name's Daryl, so I'll, I'll let you all know. My name's Daryl Ewing. And uh, as she was talking, she said, I'll never remember your name, so don't hold that against me. And I said, I won't, but just remember I'm the other guy. <laughs> so this morning when I walked in, she said, hey, you're the other guy, but I still don't remember your name. And I said, that's quite all right. And uh, it's just such an honor to be here. I want to thank the leadership of this congregation for allowing me to uh, uh, be here this morning. If you would, let's get ready to bow for a moment to talk to God. I'll leave it in silence for just a few minutes for you to say your own prayers. And then I'll break in and then we'll get ready with the lesson, all right? Father, as we humble ourselves before your presence this morning, we're thankful that you're here. We know your word tells us that whether a couple are gathered together, that you're there in the midst. And Father, inside of this congregation, we know that the Trinity is involved and and that you're here and you're ready to bless your word as it is given. And Father, as I listen to the sound of joy behind me here with all of the youth that's back there, I pray for them, Father. That's the future of your church. That's the future of this country and of of our community here. Pray that you will bless them and the work that's being done through this congregation for them. But, Father, as we get ready to prepare ourselves for your word, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that the carnal mind cannot understand the things that are of God. It cannot understand the word. So, Father, we ask this morning that you would forgive us of all of our sins, that we go to you and ask you that. And then we ask you, Father, that you will open up our mind, open up our eyes, open up our ears so that we might be able to see, to hear, and understand exactly what you have given us in your holy and divine word that will live forever. And, Father, we ask all of this Through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's good to see all of you. I'm going to talk this morning about one of my favorite characters in the Word of God. And that's David. I love David. He's a real-life guy. Peter and David remind me so much of me. So I study them very closely so I can understand how I'm supposed to act and what I'm supposed to do, and maybe I can learn from their mistakes so that I don't keep making those on my own. They're real-life people. And if you brought your sword, the Word of God, with you this morning, if you want to turn over to 1 Samuel, our main text is going to be in chapter 21, but I'm going to take the scenic route there this morning. 
Most of you will find that I do that. I like to take a little time and, and prepare as we get to the main foundation of the lesson. So I'm going to be starting in chapter 18, and we're going to work our way up to chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. But most of us know about David from his battle with Goliath. You know, we know about that, and we're all familiar with David and, and Goliath and and how he slew him in the valley of Elah that day when all of the other army of Israel didn't want to go out. And as David came out victorious through God's help, as they came back, there was a procession going on. And David killing Goliath caused all of the writers of the pop songs of that day to write a new tune. And that tune made it to the top of the chart on Casey Kasem's Top 40 Countdown. And I can just hear him as he's introducing this song. I don't know about you, but I used to listen to those whenever I was young. And then you'd be waiting for who's number one this week. And I can hear him as he says, Yeah, you remember a few weeks ago over there in the Valley of Eli when our underdog, David, went up against that giant of a man, Goliath. And through God's help slew him. And now throughout all of Israel, people are singing this song. And number one on the hit parade for the second week in a row is this. David has, or Saul has killed his thousands. But David has killed his tens of thousands. Picture, if you would, the rivalry that's beginning to happen now. Because this is a procession of victory and Saul's on his horse and he's riding in the front. And he says, as we read what's going on here, it says, And it came to pass as they came that David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines and that the women came out from all of the cities of Israel and that they were singing and they were dancing and they were playing on their tabrets and they had much joy in their heart. And they were bouncing around with their instruments of music and dancing, and there was joy in the land. And it said the, the women answered one another. They were singing in a round type thing. And as they played and sang, they said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So as Saul is riding on that horse in the lead as the king of Israel, and he sees them all dancing for what's happened, it's like, Oh, wow, look what they're coming out. And as they're singing across, all of a sudden he starts to listen to the words. And as he listens to those words, it's Saul killed his thousands, and you can see him swell up with pride. And then it says, but David has tens of thousands. And he looks behind him, and there's the ruddy little youth walking behind him who is really the hero. And you can start to feel the rivalry begin. The things that starts happening then of, your emotions starting to take a hold of you. Things like envy, jealousy, hatred, all of these things. I want to introduce you to something right now, and that is mental attitude sins. Things that go on within your mind. You know, they create inside of you a self-induced misery because this is something that we create in ourselves. And I've looked out there in the audience I've been scanning all around and I know these things don't apply to you that I'm the only one here that that probably is prone to these things but I want you to know about them 
So if you start to see them come into your life, that you can quickly get rid of them. Quickly, through humility and through prayer, ask God to help you to diffuse these before they start carrying on. Because these guys are like a little gang. They all enjoy each other's company. And when you invite one to the party, they're all going to show up. And that party's in your mind, and it's what you think. And you know, it said that Saul began to say to himself that they have ascribed unto me, but thousands, and they've ascribed to David tens of thousands. Wow. Starting to get to him, isn't he, in his mind. He's starting to think these things. You know, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 tells us that as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So the thoughts that you have begin to control you and begin to not only stay on the inside, but pretty soon they're going to bubble out and start being displayed outwardly among you as well. He has said to himself, and in verse 9, of that chapter gives us the ominous display of what's going to take a hold in the future. It says that Saul began to eye David from that day and from that day forward. So that rivalry has began. And unless that rivalry is diffused that's going on in his mind, he's going to be in big trouble. Saul by the 19th chapter, openly says that he wants David killed. But David, Saul's son, Jonathan, loves David. Their souls knit together after that battle in the valley of Elah, and he slew Goliath. And so Jonathan is going to do everything possible to try to mend that bridge between his father and David. But you know, sometimes it's impossible to do that. And by the time that we get to chapter 20 and verse 42, Jonathan realizes that there's nothing that he can do now to persuade his father to like David. And he goes to David and he tells him, go in peace. May God be between my seed and your seed forever. And it says that David arose and he left. And that brings us to chapter 21, where we're going to have the majority of our lesson today. So if you're there, let's read the first 10 verses together of 1 Samuel chapter 21. Then came David to Nob to Achimelech the priest. And Achimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and he said unto him, Why have you come here, and why are you alone? No man be with thee. And David answered Ahimelech the priest, he said, The king hath commanded me a business. And he said unto me, Let no one know of the business that I'm sending you on. And he says that I have placed some men out there. I have commanded them and appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what is under your hand? Give me the five loaves of bread in my hand, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There's no common bread underneath my hand and under my arm, but this is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women, now there's some rules around the bread, 
And David stops him right there and he just says, he said to him, of a truth, women have been kept from us for about these three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy. And the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him the hallowed bread. For there was no bread there but the show bread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day from when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And David said to Achimelech, And there is not here under thy hand spear or sword, is there not here under thy hand a spear or a sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath is here. Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, go ahead and take it. For there is no other weapon here except that one. And David said, Ooh. He remembered it, and he said, man, there's none like that sword. Give it to me. And David arose, and he fled that day. Look at that next word for fear of Saul. And he went to, wow, of all people, Achish, the king of Gath. Now, Nob is one of the chief cities there in Israel. It's the city where the tabernacle was. And since the tabernacle was there, that's the city where the priests were located as they did their work in the tabernacle. Um, It was an unwalled city. God protected it. They had no weapons there in that place. The only thing there was that sword of Goliath. It's on the north ridge, this city of Nob, of the Mount of Olives, and you can kind of see Jerusalem off in the distance from there. And Achimelech is a very wise man, and he knew that David should not be traveling alone. A man of his stature should have his troops around about him. He shouldn't be there, and especially without a weapon. And so when it says that Achimelech was afraid, it's not your usual word for fear, because that's Yahweh in the Hebrew. But the word that's used here is karad, and that means that he was outwardly showing that he was afraid. I don't know if he was trembling. I don't know if his knees were knocking. But he was outwardly afraid, and he begins to question David, why are you here? And David begins to tell a little what? A little lie. You see how these mental attitude sins start to evolve. Saul got prideful, jealousy, envy going, David became fearful, he ran, and now he's hungry, and he's telling a small little lie so that he can gain some food and gain a weapon to go on the rest of his journey running in fear away from Saul. You know, David should have been more afraid of Goliath than Saul, shouldn't he? Goliath was a huge man with a spear, He was out there with a guy in front of him with his shield, and he had a sword, and he was nine foot three inches tall. 
David wasn't afraid then. So what happened to the one who had slain his tens of thousands that he is allowing a small, fearful man like Saul to send him running? What's happened? Well, he begins to tell a lie. And he says, what's under your arm? And our next slide will show the showbread. And he wants a piece of that. And like I said, he interrupts the priest because the priest knows that in Leviticus chapter 22 that there's a whole set of rules about who can have the hallowed bread that came out from the presence of the Lord. David stops him in mid-sentence and he says, Oh, no, I know all about those rules and we've met all of them. So don't worry about those. It's good for us to have those. We can go ahead and have them. And then he says, I want to know if you have a weapon. And he asked Kimelech, is there any weapons in the city that we may borrow for this mission? And he says, the only one that is there is this one. And then in verse, in verse 9, it states that the priest said, the sword of Goliath, as we go to the next slide, whom thou slewest in the valley of uh, Elah, behold, it is wrapped up in the ephod. If thou wilt take it, take it, for there is no other one here. And David said, oh, I remember that sword. Give it to me. Let me have it. And the sword should have been a reminder to David as he stands there and he holds that sword. That sword represents a trophy. Now, I remember every year in the Super Bowl, whoever wins that, they make a big to-do about the trophy presentation afterwards, don't they? And they all grab that Lombardi trophy and they hold it up. And that meant everything to them. They've worked hard their entire careers to get to this level. And that is a trophy that they have seen of the perseverance of teamwork and coaching and everything that's involved. And as David picks up that sword, it should be a reminder to him to not be afraid of Saul. It should be a reminder of him not to run and do what he's doing, but to go back and face up to what's happening there in the kingdom. Why? Because this one who has slain his tens of thousands has allowed worldly views and human thinking to become involved and not relying upon the presence of God in your life. Now, David, and this is what happened to him, when he was in the sheepfold for all of those years guarding the sheep, he communed with God. That was a quiet, restful place for him to be able to have that fellowship and to be able to learn the word of God, to be able to find the promises of God, know them in his mind, and use them as applications in his life. And so whenever God brought the bear into his life, and whenever God brought the lion into his life, he had no fear. And it says that that lion, he grabbed his beard and he slew him. And so God had prepared David in his life in that pasture that whenever his father Jesse sends him to Elah to see how the troops are doing against the Philistines and he stands there and sees the bugle mouth has been standing there for 40 days defying the army of God and nobody will move a muscle 
he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's defying the armies of God? He had that much faith and trust, and they tried to say, oh, you're but a young man. You've not had any training. You can't go out against this guy. And he says, what do you mean I haven't had any training? I've been in the pasture all these years fellowshipping with my God. I know all about that, and God, the one who delivered the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion in my hand is going to deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into our hands this day as well. And he not only didn't run from the giant, he ran at him. And I'll bet that's something that Goliath had never seen in his history of battle. Somebody like David running after him. But what happens? Usually success, when you have a spiritual victory in your life, it sets you up for failure many times. Because you get to riding up here and you get away from what got you there. So David got promoted. Saul brought him into his castle and then he set him up over, made him a captain of the thousands. And as he set him over these things and David had to go out to battle and had to do this, he was no longer out there taking in the word of God every day like he had been in the pasture. And now David has gotten so far away from God that his mind's not on the spiritual things, but it's on his human abilities. And now he is afraid of Saul. I want to share a little secret with you all. Same thing happens with you and I. What you're doing right now is what David did in the pasture. Because the only time to learn the word of God and the promises that it holds is when you're in a relaxed setting. When you can take and listen to the word of God or you can study it in your home in a quiet time, that's when you can learn and you can understand and you can apply it to yourself. Because I guarantee you that when the storms of life hit and you're in a panic and something's going on, at that moment, you will not be able to study the Word of God. You will not be able to settle yourself down and say, Ooh, I need to find the passage that applies to my situation right now. No, you're not going to be able to do that. Because it's when you have a quiet time that you learn the Word so that you can then apply it when the storms of life hit you full head on and you can rely on those promises of God. What David should have said right now is, you know what? This sword reminds me that it was God who wrought the victory that day and not me. And the God that has protected me all of my life is going to deliver me in this as well. That's what he should have been doing. He should have been relying on the promises of God. Now, he, he probably had them in his day, but we have more of them. Because we've got ones like Romans 8.28 that says, All things can work together for the good to them that love the Lord to those who are called according to his purpose. What I am going through right now may not be good, but he's going to work this for good, so I've got to trust that he's going to deliver me from this situation, and he's going to end up turning this for good in my life. So what then do I do to relax myself? Well, I, I look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 17, which says, Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. You know, Jesus loves you that much. And he says, cast those cares on me because I care for you. He loves you. 
Now, if you cast them on him, really, guess who has them? He does, not you, not I. If we will do what the word says, then we will be able to start meeting these storms that come into our life. Now, I want you to take a look at the right-hand corner of uh, that slide right there before we move on. Well, you'll see a little guy in green right there standing in the corner taking a look as David is presented with that trophy that should have reminded him of something. Now, let's go back to verse 7 of our text. There's a certain man of the servants of Saul that was standing there that day. He had been detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. Now let's take a little look at how this decision of David to run in fear and then through fear to, to tell a little lie to get some food because you're hungry. Let's see how this is going to impact his life for the rest of his time on earth and the role that Doeg plays in that. So if you would turn in the scriptures to the next chapter, chapter 22 of 1 Samuel. At this time... Saul has found out that David has been on the run, that he's been helped by Jonathan and by some others, and he's very angry. And he's sitting under a tree in, in a Ramah, and he has a, a spear in his hand. He's a little bit touched mentally right now with all of these problems that's been going on. Like I said, all of these mental attitude things are having a party in his mind, and he's continually sitting around with this spear in his hand. And he's going to try two ways to get his soldiers to talk to him, to tell him where David is at. First, he's going to bribe them. He says, I'm the king. Can the son of Jesse give to you pastures and vineyards? In other words, can he give you money and things like I can because I'm the king? And he says, can he promote you? Can he make you captains over thousands and hundreds? No, he can't. Nobody said anything. So next, he goes from bribery to fear tactics. And he looks around and he says, maybe you guys are in cahoots with David. Maybe you guys know where he's at and you're just in with him, which would be treason, which means that he would get ready to fire that spear at you. And as he said that, we see that Doeg, the Edomite, who was there in that back corner of that photo a minute ago, that he begins to sing like a canary. And verse 9 and 10 says that then Doeg the Edomite answered him and said, he's been set over the servants of Saul, and he said, I have seen the son of Jesse, and he came out there to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him, and then he gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So this information now makes Saul furious he is angry and he calls for all of those priests to be brought to him and stand before him and as he does he starts accusing Achimelech of being in cahoots with David and that you have helped him and that you have treasoned me and he pleads for his life and he says be it far from me to do that I would not have done that sir he said David is your son-in-law he goes in and out all the time. Who is more trusted in your courts than he is? 
Why would I have to think that he was running or plotting anything against you? Neither I nor my family had any idea about any of this stuff. But Saul has gone so far with these things that's going on in his mind that he will not listen to truth and he will not listen to reason. And he tells his foot soldiers to turn on the priests and slay them right there. They refused. So Saul turns to Doeg, the Edomite, the man who was behind David when heard what all went on there that day at Nob. And he says, you turn on the priests and kill them. And our next verse says that he slew 85 of the priests that were at Nob, slew he that day that wore the ephod. Those are the teaching priests, the ones who go into the tabernacle. And not only that, the verse after that says that Doeg went to the city of Nob and that he killed not only the men of that city, but he killed the women, he killed the children, he killed the babies, and then he killed the oxen and the asses and all of the animals that was there. Everything that lived and breathed in Nob died that day by the edge of the sword of Doeg the Edomite. And why? Because David allowed fear to creep into his life. And he told one little tale. I mean, all he did, instead of saying, I'm running from Saul, he said, I'm on business from the king. Can I have this bread? Can I have this sword? But after that, one of the sons of Ahimelech was able to escape. Out of all of the priests and all the people that was there, only one was able to escape. And that's slide 13, where the sons of Ahimelech came uh, of Beathar, and he showed David and said unto him that all of the people are dead except for me. And this touched David. Now, how did he react? This is why God loved David so much. Because... When he came to him and told him what happened, the next slide says that David said to Abiathar, he said, I knew it. I knew that day when I was there and Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul what happened. And then David took responsibility for what he did. He said, I have occasioned the death of all of your family and the persons of thy father's house. That's why God loved David so much. He did so many things, but he always took responsibility when, he, when it hit him in the face of what he did, and he always turned back to God in prayer. Can you imagine standing here and a Viathar is telling you what happened and you have to look him in the eye and said, Son, it was I that had your father and your mother your wife, your children, and all of those people killed. It was because of me, because of a mistake that I made. But David did not stay down when he made a mistake, and that's the great part. I'm sure that what he said and did back in Nob is going to reflect and weigh heavy on his heart the rest of his life. So uh, let's review a few things as we uh, begin to wrap this thing up. It really does matter, so Rick, if you and the guys want to come on up. 
It really does matter what I say and what I think. It really does. Take time now while you're in God's pasture to learn the word, to learn of his promises, and to be able to take those as you walk in life and whenever you deal with problems, you rely on the word of God and not on your own wisdom. He says, I need to guard my thoughts and what I do and my words and what I say. I've learned through this study that small things, what I thought was going to be a small thing, can have a major impact in life. Things like fear, jealousy, and lying can lead to a life of misery. Found out that it's usually choices that I make and not just chance that determines what's going on in my life and it also determines where I'm going to spend eternity at. Most of all, I find that God loves you because David not only occasioned this thing that caused the death of the entire teaching priesthood that's going to set them back for a long time until it can get repopulated and the teachers can get back and only one survived. But he did a lot of other things. But David never stayed down. He always came back and guess what? God just blessed him richly. He provided him to be the greatest king that ever lived because of his attitude toward God. And he knew that God loved him no matter what he did. And he always got back up and kept walking. And speaking of choices, haven't talked much about it this morning, but if you happen to be here and you have not yet made that choice to live for God and to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died for your sins then I ask you to make that decision today. It says there in Acts twenty two sixteen, if you do believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, then you're encouraged to why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. If you're here today and you say, I've done all of that, but I'm a little bit like David, what do I do? How do I dust myself off and pick myself back up? The next verse is a promise of God, one of those promises I was telling you about, and I rely on this verse several times every day of my life. And that is 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. The couple of verses leading up to that is talking about us having fellowship with God. But if we say that we don't sin, then, then we are just deceiving ourselves. But a promise of God says to you and I that if I will confess my fault to him, that he is faithful and just to forgive me of that sin, and not only that, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I love what that means, because what that means is that when I confess what I knew that I did, he's faithful and just to not only forgive me of that, but you know what? All of the things that I've forgotten about and didn't know about and that I didn't confess, he says, because you confess that, my son died for all of your sins, So I'm going to wrap all of those up into one big bundle and I'm going to forgive you the sins and cleanse you from all of the rest of that unrighteousness as well. Take that promise of God with you today and use it every day and stay in fellowship with him so that we don't make the erratic decisions like we saw from these men in our lesson. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that You have shown men like David and Saul with their warts and all 
so that we can see that if we're like David and we love you and trust you and if we confess our faults back to you that you're faithful and just and you forgive us and you will richly bless us in life. But that if we stay like Saul was and we never do repent of the things that went on that we will just sink lower and lower in self-induced misery. So Father, be with us and help us as mere human beings before you to trust in you and your word and turn things over to you and allow you to direct our steps in life. And we thank you and love you and thank you for your son that did die upon that cross so that all of our sins were judged and that we can have that forgiveness and fellowship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Shine.